So I'm, I'm so excited to have my next guest, guys. She's one of the smartest people that I know. Her name is Kickass. It sounds like it's from The Matrix. I'm welcoming the beautiful, extremely fashionable, uh, I don't know how she stays so skinny eating all these amazing food that I see her post on Instagram. Dr. Perpetua Neo, she's freaking amazing. She helps overachievers uh, upgrade their operating system, and she helps them with a lot of issues like uh, panic attacks. Um, she helps them deal with relationship issues like dealing with narcissism um, and then codependency. She's helped me with stuff like in terms of my business. She's an incredible networker. She's been like all over. Uh, she's also a, a graduate at Cambridge. She's a native of Singapore. Very awesome city, country that I've come to love. So you guys are going to enjoy this. Uh, welcome the amazing Dr. Perpetua Neil. How are you doing? Hey Lee, thank you for having me here. I'm doing fabulously this morning. How about you? Awesome, doing great. I'm excited now that you're here because seriously, you're so freaking smart. She's gonna blow blow your like brains away. Okay, guys. So um, let's talk about this because I think you work with a very interesting demographic. You work with like a lot of Type A people, a lot of like overachievers, like a lot of people mm -hmm. who are like they want to be the best at what they do in the field. So like, how would you like? Uh, what kind of behaviors would like a type A person do? Like that's different from like maybe like a average person. So I think the easiest way would be to talk a lot about what we always say, just enjoy the journey is not mm. the outcome. And a type A person will kill you for that. Mm. <laughs> they will get so frustrated with you because for them, most of the thing is about the goals. And yeah, it doesn't mean they don't enjoy the journey, but to tell them to just sit down and breathe and let go is going to want to get them so frustrated. And so that's type A. You know, we set goals. We have multiple goals that we want to achieve at the same time. So a type A person will never come to me to say, hey, I want better sleep. See, I want to work with my sleep. I want to make sure that I'm out or I'm, I'm dealing with my separation or my divorce from a narcissist or psychopath. I want to also build up my business or jump three steps in my career. And I want to drink more water and I want to do this. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. This is so awesome. I love this. So do you feel like it's genetic or do you think it's like upbringing? Like what creates these types of people? I think that's a whole mixed bag as with any kind of personality. Yeah, and yeah, sure, you know, like a lot of times you can see there's going to be a part genetic link. Uh, but this is so cultural. For instance, in Singapore, we have a lot of people who are type A because we've always been spurred by the government to be the best. And not just the best, push the envelope on what is the best. So for instance, you see even in our airport, it's, it's an overachieving airport. <laughs> People in Singapore go to the airport just for fun because there's so many great things to do over there. I like the air. I like their Wi-Fi. It's freaking amazing. Oh yeah, the Wi-Fi is amazing, and there's this crazy-looking waterfall that extends from the middle of it, and that recycles rainwater. I mean, what the hell is that? <laughs> we are told, you know, like we always push the envelope. So you know, so this can come from a cultural stance. Mm -hmm. uh, out of necessity, partly because we are so tiny and we developed so quickly. We had basically no time to develop. Once we were independent from the British, right. we had to make sure we were up and going from the get-go. So that's our cultural thing. And you can see them in some families of my clients. Mm -hmm. So they're always 
um, they're raised by demanding parents who have told them that, uh, you know, brought up in the context of poverty and telling them that you've got to make sure that you get everything right. Otherwise, no one's going to take care of you. <laughs> and you can understand that, you know, in a context of people who have just, uh, just uh, been raised after the war where there's scarcity, you can yeah. understand that. Or Asian parents yeah. who have been immigrants and they, make, they go to a country without speaking the language. So they do their very best to make sure that the child has the best foundations to maximize success. Yes. So, you know, not just Asian parents, immigrant parents, and, and or just parents who have been there, mm -hmm. done that, and they know the importance of setting up the best foundations. Mm. I love that. Thank you so much for that great definition. Um, so, like, you kind of help a lot of people who are type A with certain problems um, mm -hmm. that other people don't seem to have as much, I guess. Like, I guess that's mm -hmm. the best way to describe it. Like, what are some problems that your clients go through that maybe other people don't go through? Uh, I think that we all go through these problems to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. It's just that, okay, so for instance, when it comes to anxiety, a lot of people think that anxiety is chewing your nails under the blanket, being unable to leave the house, and just being so scared. But then we also have high-functioning anxiety where everything seems to look really well on the surface. You've got a great house, you've got a great family, great relationships, great job. But actually, you are peddling under, you're just peddling really desperately. So it's almost like there's this lake that looks placid, but right underneath, there's not just one, but there are many, many Loch Ness monsters cavorting under the surface. Mm -hmm. And so with first function, um, high functioning anxiety, whether it's your mind being overactive or you're having panic attacks or you're having OCD that's taking over your life, um, looks like you look like you're functioning, but you're actually not. And then, of course, it comes to relationships. So a lot of us are very good at pretending that things are great in our lives. Yeah. Or also, when it comes to narcissistic or any relationships with people with dark personality types, we have been trained to think that it's all our fault. Mm -hmm. And that if we tell anybody else, things are going to get worse. So mm -hmm. it's not just about the high achiever or the overachiever pretending. It's about how they've been conditioned mm -hmm. by somebody who is so adept at tricking and screwing with, with people's minds their whole lives that they don't know what to say. They don't know that they're in such a bad situation. They think it's their own fault. Wow. That's incredible. Thanks for that breakdown. So um, you have a very fascinating life. So how did you choose psychology? Like what was your path like? How did you decide to become the coach uh, for overachievers? So when it comes to coaching, I suppose the job found me rather than I found it. If I look back at most of my life, it's always been a lot about curiosity and all the different jobs that I've done. And it's also about helping people to become a better version of themselves, to achieve a few different goals at the same time. And since I was young, people would, younger people would actually just tell me, hey, you know what, like I've got this thing that I need to, this goal I need to reach, or I've got this Ivy League college that I want to get to, can you help me there? And I was pretty young, I was in my teenage years, I was like, what, do you want to pay me for that? Oh, okay, sure. So, you know, it kind of sought me out, and then um, kind of organically, I got into psychology as an undergraduate. The story is, is both like, it's basically a tragic comedy, if I think about it, in the context <laughs> of my younger self. So I really wanted to go to vet school, um, and I applied to three vet schools in Australia. 
and I got into four. I really don't know how that happened, but I had four accepted letters that um, my family wasn't really keen on supporting that career path. It was really expensive. They were like, oh, you're really young and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So if you want to do postgraduate in future, we will support you for it overseas. But no bad school. So I had already just applied to psychology. Just, I don't know, just randomly without really knowing what the hell it was mm-hmm. um, in Singapore. And went in thinking that, oh yeah, whatever. I'll just make the best of it. I'll come in and get first class honours and get out. <laughs> but I turned out to be really fascinated with it. And then I, you know, and then I went to graduate school in Cambridge doing criminology, which is a sub uh, which also combines psychology in a multidisciplinary way. Um, thinking, wondering if I was mature enough to be able to hold my clients' well-being and perspectives and everything else within my mm-hmm. own hands because you know it's it's not something about just throwing yourself in it's about having this maturity and space for somebody else and mm-hmm. so after a year i realized that yeah you know what i think i can start learning how to do that so it's something about being very mindful about that and then i got into clinical psychology school mm, i love that and um, you're just such a smart person, and it's like no wonder like you got into Cambridge. Like, can you to, like to so many people like that's like a dream. That's like surreal. That's amazing. Can you share with us like what was your experience like studying at Cambridge? So Cambridge was very eye opening because everywhere you go there, people you meet, everyone has so many different perspectives. There is always something amazing to do there um you know like for instance it's amazing museums there's always very interesting world-class lectures from people who have done the most mind-blowing research so that would be cambridge very intellectual very cultural and maybe that also gets takes some use um so <laughs> it takes some um, time to get accustomed to so for instance you know i come from singapore and it's very small it's very yeah. fast Right. And there's a lot of different things you can do at the yeah. same time. And Cambridge is, a, it's kind of like a small town. So you have to put yourself into that town. It's a small town without having a small town mentality. So mm-hmm. it's almost like you're going into a world. So the year that I entered was its 800th anniversary. So you're going to this place with so much history. But it's also in, it's almost like you're teleported back into time <laughs> as well. So people would always say that, oh, for instance, our matriculation ceremony was like a Harry Potter's ceremony. Our <laughs> college students are like, ooh, you wear this robe and you wear this robe in Harry Potter. So it's like graduation where someone claps your hands, you kneel down and they say something in Latin and bam, you. <laughs> so, you know, it takes some getting used to that. But in, yeah. Singapore, like in Singapore, everything is super fast and super efficient and the future forward even especially architecture, but Cambridge is like, you know, yeah. it's, it's a throwback into a different world. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing, but you got to get yourself used to that. But that's going to be your life. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. What was your, like your favorite memory there? Say that again? What's your favorite memory? My favorite memory of Cambridge. Actually, it would have been the graduation. Mm. Wow. Mm. Like I said, you know, it's like when, it's like most graduations that you have, you go in with this robe 
and then you go on stage there's a lot of people in a crowded very modern auditorium as mm-hmm. your name flashed up there and bam it's done you know you shake someone's hands but mm-hmm. on this one you you're caught right in front of this really old hall and you kneel down someone will clasp his hands around you speak in latin mm-hmm. and and then you're done <laughs> I love that. It's <laughs> very, very surreal. I'm going to look at your Instagram just for yeah. some graduation. Because, okay, guys, she has like three Instagrams. They're all freaking amazing. Um, you have one that's focused on your doctor stuff. Um, you have one yeah. focused on food. And you have one kind of focused on travel. So, and mm-hmm. your freaking, your wardrobe is freaking amazing. Uh, you oh, eat the best food ever. And you're super skinny. I don't know what witchcraft you've done. Um <laughs> <laughs> you look amazing and you're you just you have an awesome life just want to shout that out okay so um what do you feel like is very singaporean about yourself i think it would be my food loving nature because mm-hmm. as chinese people you probably know that we greet each other with hey have you eaten yet not how are you it's important yeah uh-huh. Yeah, how you can be a very simple platitude, like for instance, you had a pretty bad day, or you just had a very, very bad meeting, or you had a quarrel with someone, and someone at the supermarket goes, hey, how are you, how's your day? Mm-hmm. And you can't really tell a stranger or even a friend, oh, my day sucked. <laughs> but have you eaten? It's actually a much more honest question. Yes, absolutely. And I love the emotional honesty of Asian people. The, the crazy mm-hmm. thing is, like, I started doing stand-up comedy, right? And of course, mm-hmm. some like Asian woman there ever right and some of the yeah. things I, I can't get away with because I'm so different and weird they're just like oh my god what is this girl gonna say but also just in general I feel like Asians are a little bit more honest it's like those tell you straight up like how yeah. they hurt you they don't care about like making people feel nice and I think it's almost opposite British style where they care about oh, your totally. feeling they care about you yeah. not to kill yourself after an interaction with them and it's like yeah. I yeah why asians are like this because we had to like survive and then we just need to make decisions very fast because we were eliminated if we like hesitated right we have like <laughs> get talking, right the europeans yes. could afford to be a little bit more chill out right like they had a little bit yeah. more peaceful time so they can do it but yeah like it's uh, we're, we're nuts um anyways okay so what do you find uh funny like in in life like do you have favorite psychologist jokes like what what makes you laugh? What makes me laugh? The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> oh, nice. Who's your favorite character? Sheldon. Sheldon, oh, okay. He's hilarious. What? I know. It's like, I really love that series so much. I've probably watched it about 10 times back to back. And it's so funny. I can practically quote so many bits of it. And this is, it's just really amazing because... You, you see this guy who's quite awkward, but he's so intelligent. And yet you, you watch his growth. You watch his trajectory. And it's amazing, you know, how he comes from this guy who designs his living room to, with lawn chairs to avoid people to mm. this guy who actually gets married. Mm. Wow. So what's your yeah. favorite Sheldon quote or saying? You're going to laugh at me. So it's actually from the first episode. So Sheldon and Leonard are in this clinic where they're supposed to sell their sperm Mm -hmm. so they can get super fast broadband in their apartment. And then halfway, 
Sheldon says, Leonard, I don't think I can do it. I'm, becom connected, I'm committing genetic fraud. There's no guarantee that my offspring is going to give you, uh, it's going to be high quality or high IQ. <laughs> and then Leonard looks at him and says, I'm sure they'll still love it. No, 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 no sorry. Um, before that, Sheldon says, what if the baby doesn't, or the child doesn't know the, um, whether to use a differential or an integra uh, integral yeah, equation to calculate the area under a graph? And then it looks at him and says, I'm sure they'll still love it. And Sheldon goes, I won't. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so Sheldon. Oh, my God. I need to watch this series again. <laughs> Oh my god! He just, he, does he get married? Wow, that's yeah. That's yeah, she actually has has a functioning relationship wow. with a woman, and <laughs> and and the things that he's learned how to navigate a relationship. He's learned so much about himself, and he's got this whole bunch of friends who are annoyed by him, but they support him, and they all grow together. And I'm single. What the fuck? This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm hey, that's, that's for Sheldon is for all of us. Okay. Um man, even Sheldon got married. Um anyways, so who's your favorite comedian? My favorite comedian. Huh. Um let me think. What's his name? Uh are we talking about stand-up comedian or are we talking about any, TV? Yeah, any any actor or actress that makes you laugh? Like as I feel like humor is really different from US humor in a way. Mm -hmm. simply because you guys are more refined sophisticated mm -hmm. and we're more like street out and crazy so yeah I, I just like to hear like because you're or like maybe in singapore like who is there stand-up comedy in singapore i have a theory about asian culture and stand-up comedy but like i'm just wondering is there like a scene there yeah we actually have a scene in singapore uh it's quite a big scene nowadays like you know like the arts and performance are getting much bigger here uh, but I think historically my favorite comedy would be Monty Python have you heard of that yes oh I love Monty Python that's awesome oh yeah so Monty Python is amazing so I guess I grew up watching quite a bit of British humor that would be in a form of Rowan Atkinson Mr. Bean still mm -hmm. makes me laugh mm -hmm. but then I discovered Monty Python so uh, that would definitely be my first choice of something funny if you say what's really weird and bizarre oh Monty Python uh, specifically the movie The Life of Brian mm. Life of Brian? Oh, I don't know what yeah. that's interesting so that's actually a slapstick rendition on The Life of Christ mm -hmm. <laughs> so it starts with Brian being born in a stable Nick Peer to Christ mm -hmm. wow <laughs> yes that's hilarious so um, okay because okay I remember you from an email that mm -hmm. Nagina Sethi sent on Spice Yourself Skinny. Now, oh. your picture, you weren't even, like, overweight at all. I don't even know why you joined the program. But, like, I was like, oh, uh, this lady's very interesting. <laughs> Good, cool name. Let's see what she's about. And that's how I kind of got to know you. And, like, mm -hmm. through the years I've known you, you've always been, like, such a great networker. Even though you're an introvert and then you allowed me to have the permission to have introvert hangovers. Because I was like, oh, it's okay to sleep after you work so hard uh thank you and like but like you're such a good networker you met people like Kalina Sue, Nagina, Rami and Derek like how do you find these great opportunities and like you even in Europe you got so many opportunities to work with like top-notch photographers and just top of the field people so like what's your advice on like meeting and networking and meeting just just being surrounded by amazing people 
I would say that go there as yourself. And I know how cliche it sounds, but what I mean by itself is, for instance, if you're introvert, as you know, you rightly mentioned, and I think that's something that we've both always connected on. Mm -hmm. So to say introvert, you don't go into an event thinking um, if there are 50 people, I'm going to network with 60 people. As an introvert, you look for if sometimes just one yeah, deep one. proper connection. And don't take it too personally. Sometimes some people are not a fit. And you use this as intel. Like, okay, this person's not a fit with me. Or how can I become better at what I do? Mm. So this is the first thing. Because when you set the right kind of intentions and goals, you have the right energies and outlook. Meaning that you go in winning it not going you're in all frantic and nervous so whether you're you're in a place full of strangers you've never heard of or you're meeting someone that you already uh, that you kind of heard of and that you really admire mm-hmm. going um setting the right frame mm-hmm. is going to help you win mm-hmm. that's awesome so um you also referred a lot of great people to me while i was doing my old podcast so thank you so much for that You've networked like I think ten people at least to me. And oh, I'm, really? Oh, wow! <laughs> you're so popular in Singapore. Oh my God! You're like the queen. Is I was like so shocked. So again, thank you so much for that. Oh, like, you're I, welcome. I just wanted, yeah, seriously. So, like, can you tell us like um, what is it like working with you, and like uh, what kind of clients do you enjoy working with? So what's it like working with me? I think we should see what my clients say, and most of my clients often say that. It's fun. You don't expect to laugh so much, but you do. But of course, it's not just superficial. It's very deep as well. So it's about how I would describe it in a word is mapping. So we map who you are. We map what things are like for you. And we map where you want to be. And we get you there. Mm-hmm. And often not just one goal, multiple goals at the same time. So you, know, you could have hired a coach for other things like to exercise or uh, to an, another business coach to you know, get your business in tip-top shape or whatever else. So I'm kind of like your master coach, mm. making sure that everything stays accountable. And of course, you know, I help you with the things I specialize in. Mm-hmm. Um, and why people also love working with me is because I work with them um, in eight-week programs mm-hmm. to ensure that there's accountability and that they smash their goals as quickly as possible because let's face it we've all heard of the person who goes you know I've been in therapy for three years and nothing's changed or 10 years and nothing's changed mm-hmm. and I always tell my clients that I don't want to see you for three years not even six months the only yeah. reason why I see you for longer than mm-hmm. uh, than eight weeks or 12 weeks is because you've smashed your first set of goals and you want to build yourself towards a next set you want to improve other things in your life. So people will hire me for our programs to get accountable, to sort things out mm-hmm. and to get also to, so you know, not only do you sort out what's wrong, you mm-hmm. get to a place where what's right and you leverage all the stuff from your past. And I would say, you know, not just kill your demons, you make mm-hmm. your demons work for you. Ooh. And they also love what I call having a psychologist on retainer because we all have, Things like having a lawyer or a retainer, right? And so I use that concept and I tell my clients, hey, you know what? In our VIP programs, you have access to me. Obviously, I sleep sometimes. Obviously, I'm traveling sometimes. But you get access to me on WhatsApp and on email. Mm-hmm. So I'll answer your questions. You also get access to an optional 10-minute call every week. And this is what I'll call your express calls, where if you have questions or you need to prep yourself for this big meeting or this pitch to a venture capitalist, or you've got this big court case 
because you're dealing with a narcissist <laughs> that you need to prep for. But this is what gets you grounded and sorted. I love that. And I've worked with you and you're super professional. You're like just on point with everything. And I love the fact that you said thing because I felt so clear while working with mm -hmm. you. It was just like, I felt so safe because I was like, you're like, boom, boom, boom. This is what you need to do. All right. You do this, do that. It was, um, it's like safe for me. That's the best word I can mm -hmm. think of. It's just like, um, like I know you're going to tell me straight up if I'm like not doing this and then uh, you're straight up and uh, just communication. So I appreciate that. You're like a more emotionally intelligent tiger mom. Like I guess Asian parents would just say like, if you don't do your homework, I'm going to fucking kill you or break your leg. Right. But in a more loving way. Right. <laughs> so I appreciate that. So um, what are some of like your favorite <laughs> um it's true people if you're not asian it's all everything i say about asians is true so um what are your favorite kind of topics to coach on because i you you have a lot of expertise good people with panic attacks you have a lot of stuff to share on narcissism and how to deal with narcissists and you have a lot to share on just like i guess success and like achievement mm -hmm. and technology in general so what are like your top let's say like top three things you love coaching on so the top three things I love coaching on would be toxic relationships, mm. okay. anxiety, mm -hmm. and also people wanting to skip steps in their career. So we're not saying that they don't do their job, but we're saying that, hey, you know, I have got two ranks or three ranks that I want to be promoted through. Let's get me there. I want to shift industries, but I don't have much experience. Let's get me there. So those will be the three main reasons why people call me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we all wake up with a lot of lofty goals and a lot of dreams and everything else. I think that's fantastic. Never lose sight of that. But at the same time, we don't really want to work on them unless there's something really pressing. So there's other pressing things that gets people to me. And then from there, we start to work on all the other things in their lives as well. That's, that's perfect. So um, I think you're such a, you, if you just cover these three topics, I think you have a really good life, basically. Um, but let's dive down a little bit deeper. Like, cause I think the word huh. toxic is just thrown around like the word racist in this country, in America. Oh, totally. It means nothing yeah. now, in a way. So yes. like as a psychologist, how would you define a toxic relationship or person? If that's, if there is a so, toxic, yeah. A toxic person would be somebody what, that we call has a dark personality type. And when I say personality, I mean that it's been, you know, our personalities are ingrained into us. It's not to say that we cannot change. Being conscious of behavior can change. But a person with a personality disorder often is unable to change because it's so deeply ingrained. They don't want and they will not change because the people who are uh, with dark personality types, so we're talking our narcissists, sociopaths, psychopaths, Machiavellians, very dark, fascinating stuff. Um, and these people can also be in, in our everyday lives. You know, everybody's met at least one person who's like that. Yes. Even if never been romantically involved with them. Mm -hmm. So these people are our dark personality types, and these people will have toxic relationships because they tend to be generally very entitled, careless, mm -hmm. they tend to be manipulative, mm -hmm. and they also tend to really get the kicks out of hurting you. Mm. I see. That's a great definition. And like, I guess, uh, 
do you think an uh, empaths are attracted to narcissists or what was codependent? Like what, what's the personality type that gets hurt by them? I think somebody who is overgiving. Okay. That makes sense. So, and, and so like uh, if uh, somebody is type A and mm. they're overgiving, I think that's actually a very toxic combination. Mm. It's almost like uh, it's this cocktail, the Molotov cocktail that you input in your own face because if you're overgiving without boundaries, mm-hmm this is something that your dark type will exploit mm. and you're going to keep wanting to pedal to you tend to blame yourself you pedal harder and harder and harder mm. and so you just keep giving and giving and you set yourself for failure without even knowing that because mm. the thing is that you've been hooked into a relationship with somebody who's portrayed this false front and because you've already experienced how amazing it was mm-hmm. because it's even though you don't know that it's fake Mm-hmm. When it's been taken away from you, you get blamed for that, and you also tend to blame yourself. Mm-hmm. So the only thing you'll say is, you know what? This was not a fantasy. It's not a pipe dream. I've experienced that before, and because it's gone now, mm-hmm. it has to be my fault. I must have done something. So let me work really, really, really hard to get that back. Mm-hmm. Man, that hits home. Wow, that mm-hmm. was really good. A really great example. Um, and the second thing, what was the second thing you said? Sorry, this is so good. I kind of, is it panic so, attacks? Panic attacks, yes. Okay. So yeah. panic you attacks, yeah. sometimes people say things like, oh, you know, I'm having a panic attack when it's really not a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And this is not to put down the role of having an anxiety attack. That's when you, your thoughts just go really, really wild and they take you over. But panic mm-hmm. attacks are a lot more visceral. Mm-hmm. It's like an alien has taken over your body. Oh my God. You are so, so, so hot. We're not just talking about warm. You feel trapped, you know, like this sensations in your heart are so strong. You feel like you're going to die or you're sweating or hyperventilating. You literally feel that you're going to die and chances are you're probably in an enclosed space like a train or a plane or a bus. You're so scared everyone's staring at you. So all those factors converge together to make you feel like you cannot escape. People are going to laugh at you. Everybody's seeing what's going on and something really wrong is going on in your body. Mm-hmm. And you learn to associate a similar situation. So a similar context and scenario and with this panic attack. So if you know you're going to go back into this scenario, like for instance, oh, no, tomorrow I'm going to have this, or next week I'm going to have this, uh, this presentation to give. And during, in the presentation in a crowded room, this is when all the symptoms happen. Or I'm going to have to take the train next week. So it's going to haunt you for the next one week. Mm-hmm. And... So it's hell. It's not just a f- half an hour in a train and that's five minutes when you're having that panic attack. It's mm-hmm. way beyond that. It's before the next time and it's after the next time. So it's really exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And what was the third thing you were talking about? The third thing I was talking about would be people who want to jump steps. Oh, jump steps. Yes. yes. Can you that a little bit? Yeah. So for that, you know, it could be somebody who says that Oh, um, I want a very big promotion because there's something that I can do. I'm ready for my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, how do I get there? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's a parallel industry that, or this different industry that I want to jump into. Uh, I've got some skills, but I feel like I am under-experienced generally because I don't take all the boxes that they want. So how do I get there? So often what people don't realize is that we have a lot of experience that's transferable. Mm-hmm. 
So yes. a woman who might tell me that, you know, I've been out of the workforce for five years because I've been raising my kid. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm totally irrelevant. And actually that doesn't make it irrelevant because raising children, okay, I don't have children myself, maybe not yet, but you know, but raising children is a big responsibility. It teaches you a lot of things like how to multitask. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How to take on a different role, how to care for somebody else, how to be a leader in fact. Yes. Absolutely. Those are great, great examples. So what are your favorite like client success stories? So actually my favorite client success stories would be the ones where they come to me thinking that life is gone. Mm. So they often come to me in a state of numbness, which is actually is code for depression and burnout mm. interspersed with anxiety. Mm-hmm. So their minds are overactive, they're cerebral, they're always rationalizing stuff away, they don't want to feel anything, but at the same time, they feel it too much. Mm. And they feel like they're gone. And they feel like they're going to give up hope. And also people tell them things like, anxiety is going to last you for the rest of your life. You're going to have to learn how to manage panic attacks, or you're going to feel the trauma from a toxic relationship for the rest of your life, blah, 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 blah. You're never going to be free of that. So there's a lot of nonsense like that that's being peddled out that very, uh, very irresponsibly and people let it out because it's, it's like saying that, oh, you know, if I go to a doctor who only gives me crappy medicine, of course, I only know there's crappy medicine available. <laughs> so it's not anybody's fault, but rather it's a, it's a lack of information out there. Mm-hmm. And so people come to me in that state. And, you know, for instance, a person who's, who goes... Like I have never taken a train for the last 15 years because I get panic attacks. Mm. And to get this person on a train in two sessions and then by the end of eight weeks, they're taking them super happily. They're telling me, you know what, I've got all these dreams that I totally forgot about in medical school that now I'm actually reconsidering. My family is so much happier with me. I know that my kids are not going to pick up on my anxiety. You know, I can, you know, like instead of having to drive for one half hours, this train ride is so quick, it's only half an hour, so so much more time for everybody. Wow, that's incredible. You change his life, probably save his life. That's amazing. Wow, and family too. It's a ripple effect. So, wow, thank you for sharing that. So, um, do you feel like there's different Asian and Western values, when Eastern and Western values regarding work? Like, because you are in a place where you have like both sides, like, do you mm-hmm. feel like those types of cultural things? And I, I feel like Asians don't usually really talk about stuff unless really horrible and they snap and they talk about stuff. Whereas like, I think mm-hmm. Western, I mean, I, of course I'm overgeneralizing here, but I feel like they're more open to talking about problems. Like, do you feel like there's like a class of Eastern and Western values in regards to work? I would say that, yes. So for instance, you're very right in saying that in the States, for instance, everybody has got a therapist. That's yeah. a running joke. But that's yeah. also the running reality. You're right. You're right. But it also makes people a lot more accustomed to talking about their problems. Yes. Or knowing that there's a possibility that you can solve it. Yes. So a lot of my clients actually come from the States. Mm-hmm. And because they've already seen therapists and coaches and all that stuff, even if you tell me, you know, I've been seeing a therapist for the last 15 years and nothing's changed and all that stuff, they know that it's okay to talk. Whereas yeah. somebody, for instance, from Singapore is less likely to want to do that unless they have already been told by somebody else that, you know, this is something that works or they're so desperate. Mm. 
and it takes them some time to warm up to talking. So a lot of them yeah. start telling me, like, you know what, this is not going to work. I don't even know what to say and all that stuff. I don't have a lot of feelings. I, you know, I don't just want to talk about feelings, feelings, feelings. I'm like, you know, darling, you don't have to talk about feelings, feelings, feelings. It's not just about that. Right, right, right. That's awesome. Thanks for that. Yeah. And how do you feel like workaholics, how can workaholics become better people? So if you're a workaholic, you tend to be type A. And how I'll pitch it is, let's get you to be type A about being type A. So let's make this type A nature work for you. And that switches their brain on. Because for a person who is type A and a workaholic, you need to give them a reason to do something. So... You know, like, uh, give you an example. All of us have got everyday traumas. You yes. don't need to have been close to death mm-hmm. or have witnessed right. somebody close, or somebody, you know, having their life threatened or losing their life for you to have trauma. So we call this small T trauma versus big T trauma. And it's mm-hmm. a big deal. We cannot pretend it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my clients tell me, oh, you know what, like, I've been told everyone has this, I need to breathe, I need to do my deep breathing, blah, blah, blah. And that's just nonsense. I'm never going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I will do is I will tell them, okay, here's why you have to do it. Because it resets the fear center in your brain. Mm. And I draw for them their fear center, explain to them what that is. And I tell them about how there's this timekeeper in your brain mm-hmm. that when affected by trauma, believes that then is now to the point where we get flashbacks or we are reliving a situation yes. where we smell the same smells, we hear the same sounds, it's almost like we time travel without time traveling. Mm. Wow. So when you explain to them about these true functions in your brain, then, then they switch on, they go, ah, okay, I get it. So how can we create a system and a structure to make sure that I do it and keep me accountable? So this is how what I mean by helping a type A person be type A about being type A. And then you explain to them the reason why they need to rest. So, you know, for instance, if you work super hard all the time and the only thing you do is work, I mean, we all know the kind of person right. who when they open their mouth, it's all about, oh, you know, the software, da 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 <laughs> And there's nothing, you know, like, yeah, you can be passionate about your work, but life is not just about work, right? right. So I explain to them that often this is a result of being anxious, being high-functioning anxious. Because people with high anxiety tend to throw themselves into work all the time mm-hmm. as a way of escaping their brains, escaping their overactive minds. So they oscillate between obsessing and overthinking and trying to escape it. And one way of escaping is work. Right. So I explain to them why that's, what, that this is a situation. So they get it. So their brain switches on. And then once your brain switches on, your heart can switch on. And then your brain and heart can talk to each other. That's how I put it in a very simple way. Then you switch on your gut, which is your wisdom, and let them all talk to each other and play this metaphorical symphony. And then also I tell them things like, okay, so when you rest, you turn on your default mode network in your brain. And what this means is that you tend to create a lot of more solutions. Darwin, for instance, Darwin and Dickens, they famously, um, Darwin, okay, for uh, he worked famously for four hours a day and yeah you could say it's because he's a privileged guy he's rich and all that stuff Mm. yes that is true but he also committed to only working four hours a day he spent a lot of time on walks and Mm. you know interacting with people Mm -hmm. and this gave his brain downtime Uh. so that it had the space to be able to clear out crap Ah. That's what it's uh, it's like when we sleep we clear out crap in our brain right so we declutter our brains uh, literally and he also had this 
time and space where the default mode network in his brain was activated in order to put together very disparate concepts and come up with his theory of evolution. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you so much. Wow, like I learned, I'm learning so much from this. I didn't learn from all my books. It's amazing. So um, what kind of people should work with you and what kind of people shouldn't work with you? Let's start with the shouldn't. So people okay, who great. are the kind who <laughs> tell me like, oh, you know what? I'm just signing up for this so that I can tick a box and tell myself that oh, I've done it and I'm just doomed to fail. Or I just want to show my, my partner or my family or all that stuff. That's not to say they won't change. Okay. But yeah. it's just when you put yourself in that space, you don't do yourself any favors. Mm-hmm. And you just want to talk and talk and talk. I'm not just interested to talk and talk and talk about how you feel and overanalyze what you're feeling. Such as analysis paralysis. And again, you know, we can change that as well. But if that these days, what I really prefer is I tell my clients, if you're the type who is accountable, you take responsibility, you want to create lasting transformation. So beyond this eight weeks, you're creating the structures and systems that you can bring forward. You learn how to review your systems and refine them. Mm-hmm. This are the kinds of people that I want to work with. I love that. And, uh, before we share how we can work with you and mm-hmm. um, how we can stalk you, like, okay, this is a personal question. How can I have an awesome wardrobe while eating everything and staying skinny? It's like three questions, but I just... <laughs> okay, awesome wardrobe would be where what really highlights who you are. So I spent many years of my life trying mm-hmm. on many different styles. Some of the mm-hmm. styles were not me, some of the styles were me. And you don't get born knowing what fits you. You know, perhaps it's a lot of trial and error, or perhaps you engage an expert to teach you in terms of your wardrobe. So shortcut you there. But you also got to feel it. So what really goes with your body? What really goes with your personality? Mm-hmm. So when you know that, so for instance, I know that I my body type is the kind that loves pencil dresses and pencil cuts. And you look amazing in them. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, and I also love short skirts because I have long legs. And I love that. Show off that figure. You you look so amazing. I can't believe. Okay, if you put your food Instagram next to your fashion Instagram, you're like, this doesn't make sense. How is this the same person? I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. Continue. Um, yeah, so yeah. you got to know what you like <laughs> and you got to be able to step up to who you are. So you've got people with awesome, really awesome legs, for instance, but they're so scared of showing it <laughs> because they have this hang up around it or they say, oh, I don't want to be vain. Or people with really great hair that they should be flaunting, but they're hiding it. Mm. So it's all about standing up and allowing your features to show without thinking that you're being narcissistic. It's okay to, you know, to be proud of yourself as long as you're not hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. And you're not going me, 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 me. And you're not just being obsessed with yourself. You can celebrate who you are. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's very inspiring as well when we bring a bit of beauty into this world, when we bring the sense of enjoyment and we give ourselves and other people the permission to say that, you know what, life isn't just about slogging hard mm-hmm. or about suffering. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of beauty in life in whatever form. And it deserves to be celebrated. I love that. Because I feel like Chinese people or philosophy is like eat bitterness until you work and die and die from cancer, basically. <laughs> like, well, actually, like, you know what? Um, have you heard of this uh, Chinese philosopher? I think he was in the 50s or 60s called Lin, Lin Yu Tang. So no. 
she wrote this book called The Importance of Living. And there's a lot of things about beauty, about learning to rest, about learning to experience life that I think is probably a lost art in today's Chinese people. Seriously. Well, okay, maybe I'm speaking for a particular... I feel like the really rich Shanghainese people, they're living Mm -hmm. it up. So maybe I just... I feel like I came to this country and came to the U.S. at a wrong time. Uh, I could have been married, uh, just don't have to do anything. Because uh, I was in Shanghai, actually, and my taxi driver mm-hmm. was like, oh, yeah, I own four houses. I was like, why are you, why the hell are you driving? And he's he's a grandpa, and he's like, oh, I'm just bored. Yeah. Four houses, holy shit. And this was just yeah. like a random, kind of like equivalent of an Uber driver, guys. Like, I really, okay. I fucked up. Uh-huh. But anyways, now I'm doing this. Um, <laughs> doing stand-up comedy, that's the worst thing you can do. Um, but uh, how can we work with you? Like, how, what's your, in- what are your Instagrams? What's your website? How can we be in touch with you and what's what's your next projects so my instagrams i don't really do my work instagram much anymore okay, okay. then so um well, I have my foot share, yeah so my foot instagram is called red lips glutton and that's where i just spam you about food so mm-hmm. don't join it if you don't look at it if you don't want to be on a diet yeah <laughs> Because I just love food. I just love talking about food. I love connecting people with food. It's more like a celebration. It's also something that enters. I probably will not have Alzheimer's. <laughs> because, you know, when you review food and you remember things, you're actually training your memory. Uh, I, I actually don't tell a lot of people this, but uh, a lot of times social media is, is, is a diary and is also a very good way of ensuring that I practice different skills. So for instance, committing myself to taking good photographs mm. is a skill I want to practice. Mm. Because previously, when I went to Cambridge 10 years ago, mm. my friend, who, whom I, uh, who's a uh, freelance photographer, nearly died. She was like, Pino, you made my head look like it's on a platter. Pino, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm hopping at the wrong thing. But <laughs> Pino is hilarious. Uh, for those of us listening, it's kind of like, what's the equivalent of It's like... Um, so it's not like girl, but it's kind of like, uh, God, what's it's that's so funny to me. Yeah. I don't know what the wrong thing to laugh at, but it's basically it's like uh, yo dog, but like dudette, but oh my God. in a way, right? Like, yeah, you know, like dude, but like dudette. Hey, P dudette. That's I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, sorry. Chinese people will get my joke, but okay, sorry, yeah, please continue. Yeah, so she said that, and that made me resolve to learn how to take photos and to learn to practice it. So what's the best way, Instagram? And also in terms of learning how to write. Mm. So you don't write very well instantly or overnight. It's something that you have to not just find your voice, you've got to create your voice. So that takes practice. And when you can write about random stuff like food, memories, or random quotes, Mm. interactions, reflections, um, you know, draw from different bits of philosophy and art or funny stuff in general, just to celebrate mm-hmm. life, you practice mm-hmm. your writing. So Instagram's actually, a, uh, or just social media generally, is actually a very good place for me to master different bits of myself mm-hmm. while keeping my memory sharp. Mm, I love that. So I think it's a win-win situation. Yeah, let's tell people that, you know what, don't follow me if you don't want to be spammed. That's all. Yeah. But I like it. I, I want to. But um, yeah, what's your, uh, how can we, what's your website? How can we work with you? 
my website is perpetuaneo.com. That's P-E-R-P-E-T-U-A-N-E-O.com. You can go to perpetuaneo slash connect if you want to work with me in an eight-week program. So you will see a way to book a chemistry call with me if you're serious. So this chemistry call is where we're going to talk about where things are for you and where and what do you want to get out of it. So book a call. You'll be led to a questionnaire where you have to fill up a form. So we learn how to, so I will know how to best make use of this time to ensure that this call is useful to you and honors your time and my time. Absolutely. Well, uh, before we just uh, head off, what, what advice would you give to our listeners in general? I would say that be kind. And mm. kindness is not just to everybody else, but it's also to yourself. Mm. So this is very, almost like your bonus and cliche these days. Like, be kind because you don't know what battle everybody else is fighting. I think you know, there's something about the human human nature, human experience that we don't honor enough, that we all have got what is wrongly known as negative emotions, but we all have experienced that. We all go through crap in life, but the fact is that we think that we are alone. So when you can be kind to somebody else, you just don't know what difference you make in that day. And smiling is also good for yourself. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying pretend that you don't experience anything and just smile and lie to people that everything's fine. No, it's about learning how to wish other people kindness, even for your bottom of your heart. So for instance, like, you know, um, I don't like people with dark personality types, but at the same time, I'm able to see where they come from, what makes a person like that. So it doesn't mean that I wish them him. Just because I guide my clients in a divorce battle with them, doesn't mean I want this dark personality type person to be completely screwed over. But what I mean is that, you know what, like, I just wish that they don't harm anybody else. So I think that if we could extend this kind of kindness to somebody else, it's great. And we can extend that kind of kindness to ourselves as well. So not to be so relentless on yourself, to be able to step back that allows you to be type A about being type A because you give yourself time to retouch. Awesome. I love that. So thank you so much for this interview. Every time I talk to you, I feel way smarter. Like my IQ points just jumped like a thousand points. So thank you so much. And you're just so hilarious. And just, I just love like your essence and your vibe. So thank you so much for being on this show. Um, I hope to have you on future episodes to come. Thank you so much. It was much my for pleasure. Being here. Oh, thank mm-hmm. you.